When I was fresh out of my own trauma, I had so many days that I felt just defeated and rejected by those around me. I felt like what I went through, even though it wasn't my fault, made me less than, less desirable as a friend, less desirable as a relation, and less desirable in my community. Like many trauma survivors, I was grieving not only the life I thought I was going to have, but also the people who were with me in that version of my life. After a particularly hard day, I sat there crying on a friend's shoulder, telling her that I was so tired and over being the mess friend. The one everyone avoided because I couldn't keep it together. The one no one wanted to be around because I couldn't maintain the facade of happy. I was so tired of being fragile. It took me many years since that moment to feel confident in myself again and not feel like I was a drain on the people around me. It took me even longer to recognize that the loss of those relationships I was grieving in that moment, they weren't necessarily relationships that were healthy to begin with. You see, in healthy relationships, people hold space for trauma because trauma is a human experience that we all go through. Trauma is not our fault. And healing happens collectively. It happens within community. Hey, I'm Anna Beth. I'm a certified trauma recovery coach and host of the Safe Haven Parenting Podcast. This episode is the fifth and final episode in a five-part Understanding Trauma series. Previous episodes covered what trauma is, the different types of trauma, and how common they are, how trauma affects us and our kids, and today we are going to talk about what to do to support recovery and how to heal trauma. So obviously when it comes to healing trauma, there's something I want to say right off the bat, and that's that healing trauma is not instantaneous. It's not something we just wake up and decide we're going to be healed from. (laughs) Um, And a lot of times healing trauma comes in pieces. So you might heal one piece and feel so good that you've got this under wraps. And then all of a sudden that healing of that one piece revealed that there's a whole nother set that has to be worked on next. And that's just a part of this process. So for a lot of trauma survivors, don't feel defeated if it takes time and feel encouraged when you take just even the smallest step because that small step is one of the best steps that you can take in the overall big picture. For many years, we had this idea that trauma recovery looked like just not thinking about it. And the less you thought about it, the better off you were. And if you couldn't just get over it, you could hire someone to fix it or medicate it. But as cut and dry as that sounds, researchers around trauma soon figured out that real life recovery doesn't look like that. It's a lot more intricate. Trauma survivors aren't broken things in need of a few weeks in a repair shop. 
we're human beings having a very normal response to the abnormal thing that we just went through. Our bodies and brains have just shifted and we just need new tools to navigate those shifts. As nice as it would be to just walk into a repair shop and leave feeling like our old selves again, if we have that expectation and then wind up with a repair shop that doesn't understand what trauma is or how it affects people, we can wind up with added trauma, worsening symptoms, or being treated for an issue that isn't even accurate. Or we fall into the age-old just-move-on trap, not realizing that the after-effects are still happening, whether or not we think about what our lived experiences were. I want to note here that not thinking about our experiences is a coping mechanism we use to manage hard memories. It's normal and not a bad thing. We just can't equate not thinking of the bad things that we went through with healing what we went through. Trauma recovery is different for everyone, and I'm going to outline three basic things they're not basic, okay? <laughs> Just three things that we can do when we're talking or um, when we begin our recovery process. So the first thing is um, learn about trauma. I know, I know. But the thing is that when we understand what's happening, we can advocate for ourselves, while the need to understand trauma is becoming more apparent, it's still not mainstream and many places we might go to for help are ridiculously behind. On average, doctors, therapists, and healthcare workers are about 20 to 30 years behind trauma education, including those who are working with, diagnosing, and treating our children. But they are out there and learning about trauma ourselves can help us find the right caregivers for us and for our kids. When we take ownership and we learn about that trauma for ourselves, we can better advocate for our needs and our children's needs and identify when red flags are there. When I sought help for my own kids, the first doctor I talked to told me it was all in my head and that my child was too young to show the after effects of trauma. But because I had prioritized learning about trauma myself, I knew that children can be born with PTSD from what happened to the mother while they were in utero and that no child is too young to be affected by trauma. If I hadn't known current research on this, I wouldn't have been able to get accurate answers from my child, and they may have wound up giving treatment or medication for something that wasn't even there. We don't need to know all the things, but learning even a little bit about trauma can help us not only advocate for ourselves, but also to understand ourselves. The second thing we can do is to learn about emotions and how to identify them. For many of us, coming from relational traumas, we've not been allowed to feel or our feelings were never important to the person we were in a relationship with. When we start working towards healing trauma, 
learning to identify what we feel, even if it's as little as I feel numb today, I feel nothing at all today. That just helps us start using our voice. It's the foundation to learning how to identify our needs. And it's the first thing we get back in learning how to have a voice and value it. And it's critical in learning self-care. Emotions are our human thermostat for identifying when we need rest, when we need care, and also spotlight unsafe relationships. They help us neutralize our triggers and put an action step to them. Like, I need 15 minutes to step back and regroup. That comes from learning how to identify what we're feeling. This is part of why community is so important in trauma recovery, because healthy community offers empathy. Through empathy with others, we learn how to identify for ourselves how we are feeling, and then we can do the same for our kids. We can use empathy to help them start identifying how they feel and help them learn to identify those self-care needs, unhealthy relationships, and voice what's important to them. Emotions help us identify unmet needs. And when we can identify unmet needs, we can communicate those needs. Learning about our emotions helps us take back the power that we lost with relational trauma. The third thing we can do is to learn what to do with those emotions. Learning how we feel is important, but so is learning what to do with how we feel. This is where we start to learn new coping skills, and it comes with many building blocks over time. It's, again, not one of those things that's instant. It's something that you build up, you practice, you get good at it. Coping skills are important, even if they're not healthy coping skills. A lot of trauma survivors have addictions or eating disorders or self-harm because those things were coping methods that helped them survive what they went through. And it was the only coping skill they had at the time. Most of us have coping methods that don't serve her recovery, but just to help us numb, to get through it. Don't feel like a failure of a human for having coping methods that don't fit the yoga and bubble bath mold. You're doing the best you can with what you have. Most of our coping skills, they start actually in early childhood. We learn how to cope through how our caregivers handle our emotions and behavior as kids. And if we ourselves did not have access to compassionate or collaborative parenting, we may not have been equipped to handle life's big stressors. Many of us have to start learning these skills much, much later in life, and that's normal and okay. It's also doable. The level of support you need here depends on what you used to cope. You may need someone who specializes in eating disorders or addictions, or you may be able to just start practicing new things that will help create new coping habits that protect recovery. This comes from learning how to identify what you feel and what you need, and then learning how to meet your need and how to manage general stress and overwhelm in a way that supports your recovery and not just numbs the pain. 
as we learn these things, we can again practice them with our kids and help them start their healing process. Learning to be compassionate with ourselves and collaborate with our own needs helps us do the same for our kids so that they start learning how to manage stress long term and support their own trauma recovery. You want to create spaces to let down your guard. This is your reminder to let your shoulders relax, relax those jaw muscles, and take a deep belly breath. A lot of trauma recovery comes down to learning how to use your voice and having spaces that you're safe to make your own choices in, free from fear of recrimination or judgment. And again, this is where healthy community bringing healing comes in. In healthy relationships, you can practice letting your walls down and being yourself to not walk on eggshells. The more you can let your walls down and let your body lean into relational safety, the more your brain can repattern itself out of living in that fight-flight freeze that came with dealing with relational trauma. So the fight, flight, freeze thing, it causes adrenaline. And in little bits, that's okay. But when we live in a space where we always have to have our guard up, that adrenaline causes a toxic sludge that affects nearly every part of your body. I talked about this more in early episodes on how trauma affects us. So be sure and go back and listen to that if you missed it. But just to summarize... That mode that we operate in when we're dealing with unsafe relationships impacts us big time. So when we talk about recovery, when we're in a safe relationship, we don't automatically have our guard down because we were so used to living like that. It just became a way of life. So in safe relationships, We have to practice letting our guard down. We have to practice learning to feel safe and feeling comfortable in that safety. This is also true for our children. When we create safe spaces in our homes for our kids, they too can let their walls down and live out of felt safety instead of fear. It's vital in creating a home that heals trauma. And yeah, I know, there is irony in needing safe relationships to heal traumatic relationships because so many of us don't even know how to find safe relationships to begin with or how to even maintain them. It might feel hopeless or impossible to find. You may even be at the point where you can't stand people or be able to open yourself up to someone after having a string of painful, unsafe relationships. And if this is you, I just want to say, and I've been there too, it is scary and it is intimidating. And it does take time and sometimes we do get hurt again. If you're struggling with getting connected, know that therapists and coaches count as safe relationships, as do virtual communities and group therapy or group coaching settings. 
So if you're finding it difficult to create that within the space around you and the people that are in that space, it still works to create that or find that in spaces that are outside of whatever community bubble you have. Or, you know, in this case, having a global pandemic where a lot of us are isolated regardless, it still counts to do it virtually. So don't feel like it has to look a certain way or be a certain way. You just want to work towards the goal of creating or having or finding safe relationships to learn to thrive in. So just in summary, the three things that you can do to help support trauma recovery, both for yourself and for your children if they've been impacted by trauma, is to one, learn about trauma, two, learn about emotions, and three, learn what to do with those emotions. If you would like support or help in this area, I've created a membership for single moms called the Single Mom Survivor Network, and it is curated content to help support this area. We talk about trauma recovery, we talk about what makes safe relationships, how to co-parent, you know, anything that comes up for those of us who are learning how to parent or how to live life after we've experienced an unsafe or destructive relationship. You can click the link in my bio and it will get you some more information if that's something that's helpful to you. I hope you enjoyed this series on trauma. I loved producing it and writing it, and I really look forward to upcoming episodes. So I hope you click that subscribe button so that you're the first to get notified when a new episode drops. I hope you have a happy 2021. All the best.